You never know. Well, you know, I had I, I planned on speaking tonight from um, the last part of John chapter 15 as I looked at the scripture looking forward to tonight, realized how this morning's message was going to plan out. I, I, I changed to that a familiar story. And I hope you understand that when I do a familiar story over again, it's not because I didn't know what else to say. I just try to follow the leadership of the Lord. I mean that too. I try to follow the leadership of the Lord and, and what will best solidify um, his word and his teaching to us. So I found myself looking again at this story of David and Bathsheba. And I'm not sure when I touched on this, but somewhere in my mind, I normally, I didn't, I forgot to look at the sermon schedule to see if it may have been very recently. Um, but I just want to touch on it because you remember what we talked about this morning. We talked about really there's two kinds of discipline. There's a discipline of correction, you know, where when we sin and, and God, you know, spanks us or, or chastens us. And we talked about how what a difficult word that was. And yet, remember this, and remember what Adrian Rogers says, really good. God will hurt us, but he will not harm us. And that's, that's hard, I understand. But again, it's very, very true. In fact, you're going to see it in the Bible tonight, okay? And then there's this discipline, though, of life that God allows, God allows difficulty to come in our life for the sole purpose of strengthening us, encouraging us, and helping us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is about. God is... This is, no, this is so unpopular. God really is not into happiness. That would be heaven, and you get to be happy all you want in heaven, okay? But God is interested in our holiness here, our, our practical holiness. Positionally, you know, positionally we are holy, positionally we're righteous, but there's a practical side of that, and God is so interested, and he knows it's best for us. He knows it's best for us. He knows there's a lot fewer regrets for his children who choose to live righteous, holy lives. That's just the way the game plays out, is when we obey God, there's fewer regrets. Can you say amen to that? When we obey God, there are fewer regrets. And again, we're going to talk about that and see how that plans out today. In tonight's message with David and Bathsheba, we really get to see the discipline side of God. And it's really interesting um, and again, part of this sounds like I, I may have talked about this very recently. I don't know. Didn't check the schedule. But it's just, it's a, it's a wondrous thing. The scripture itself, um, we're not going to actually talk about David and Bathsheba. You know that story. But we're going to start in 2 Samuel 12, 7 and 8. Uh, and just go beyond that. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and it's where Nathan confronts David. And that's the discipline side of this part. And this case, because I know, I know some people were saying this morning, but how do I know it's the discipline of God? How do I recognize the discipline of God? And frankly, sometimes I guess that might be hard. I don't know. Uh, sometimes it might be difficult. But in this case, you could see some things we can watch out for in our lives when, when we're thinking God might be disciplining us. Um, I personally believe this. I, I believe that God doesn't leave us in the dark. And I believe that when I sin, when I recognize that sin, and if I'm not wise enough... Here you go. This is good. I'm fixing to say something good. Okay? I'm, I, I think God lets me know when I sin through the Holy Spirit. And then I think God, God convicts me of that sin. Okay? And then, here's, here's the part that sounds pretty wise. After that, if I choose not to turn from that sin, you need to just be on the lookout for unusual activity in your life because it's probably God correcting you. Can I say it again? I think God, through the Holy, you know, God teaches me to recognize sin through His Word. The Holy Spirit will convict me of that sin, 
And if I don't choose to turn from that sin, now can it be, can it be adultery? Go ahead, it's okay, say yes. Yeah. Can it be anger, bitterness, jealousy, pride, unforgiveness, a haughty spirit, all those things. So when the Holy Spirit says, that was a little bit haughty of you, that was a little prideful of you, if I don't turn from that sin, and that doesn't mean telling God I'm sorry, it means telling God I'm sorry enough to quit. Okay? If I don't turn from that sin, you need to be on the lookout, I need to be on the lookout for unusual activity of God in my life. And if it's a negative in nature, then there might be a good sign that there's corrective action going on. I think that's pretty wise. It just came to me, so there you go. We probably could quit and go home with that. All right, so there you go. So, so in David's case, you know the story. You know he, he should have been out where kings are doing their business, fighting wars, and instead he stayed in Jerusalem, gets on the rooftop, sees Bathsheba bathing, lust after her, take, does, not, does not do what he should do, which is walk away, invites her in the house, uh, you know, and, and he says we sh- you know, she says we shouldn't do this, and he kind of forces himself on her, has uh, sex with her, and she becomes pregnant. All right, so that's kind of the story, okay? Now, amazingly, I think what's great about this is, is, and this may be a sermon series one day if I wait a year or two, but in 2 Samuel 12, well, actually 2 Samuel 11, you've got the story of Bathsheba and David. Then in 2 Samuel 12, you see God identifying David as the sinner, okay? And then you've got at least three psalms. I think this is very interesting. Three different psalms that address this. You know, you've got, you got Psalm 32. Well, actually, you've got Psalm 38, and it describes this horrible time in David's life when physically, emotionally, and spiritually, he is just a mess. He's just a mess. And again, most theologians will tell you they agree that this is the period of time from the time that he sinned with Bathsheba until he finally comes clean with God. Okay? It's that period. It's life. It's the life of a God follower with unconfessed sin. It's the life of the God follower with unconfessed sin. And some of you are going to go, oh, oh, well, oh. And some of you will go, well, that's not happening in my life. But again, some of you are going to see and you go, oh, okay, that explains that. And then uh, you've got Psalm uh, 38, uh, excuse me, Psalm 32, where it's a- obviously after David has confessed his sin to, to God, and it's kind of like a teaching moment. And then you've got Psalm 51, which is like the greatest prayer of repentance in the entire Bible. And there are just three great psalms, and they all center around this one event in David's life. Now, I'll tell you this. we got to understand that the Bathsheba part of it was bad, but we always overlook the Uriah part of it. You know, he was guilty of murder. He ordered a, a good, just man to his death. And I'll tell you one thing about that I think I found interesting tonight in my studies. Um, but you forget, you've got a man who was ordered to his death by David, and then, of course, David's already had an affair with his wife and then takes his wife. And so those are two really big gigs in our life, or in his life, that really calls attention and God corrects in his life. Okay? So let's look at part of this, and let's see if we can gain some new truth and see if we can do you know, something we can apply to our life. Let's start with 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 7 and 8. Again, you know, a, a time has passed by. It's been about a year since Bathsheba. Okay, and we're going to talk about what happened that year. 
but it's been about a year. And finally, David shows up and tells us, or excuse me, Nathan shows up and tells the parable to David about the guy who had the one sheep. And, you know, he, the, the rich man takes the one sheep and eats it and slaughters it and eats it. Okay. And David said, the man ought to die. The man ought to die. And that's where we want to pick up. All right. So the Bible says in verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now, I believe at this point, David understands that the covers have been pulled back and, and, the, and the horribleness, the heinous crime that he has committed is now going to be um, revealed. The Bible says, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, this is good because David, you just sang that really cool song and, and the tagline was really good, you know. Death was arrested and my life was changed. Is that what it says? My life began. All right? Do, does that song say anything to you? Doesn't it say how powerful and wonderful God is that, that God, Jesus Christ forever defeated death and, and my life, when, when his death, my life began? Amen? Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that kind of the news that, that you go... Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yeah. Well, see, David, from an Old Testament perspective, really experienced that kind of intimacy and thanksgiving with God. And so it's really unusual. God starts going over, David, do you understand what I've done for you? And I think, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit does that for us. You know, they, you know the Holy Spirit will go, Dwayne, don't you understand what I did I, you know, I, I changed, you're a depraved, separated sinner. You were totally separated from God. And I reached down from heaven and I, and I forgave your sins. I sent my son, Jesus, Dwayne, to die for you. I gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit so it could be your counselor and be your comforter, be all those different things. These are things that I've done for you. Well, God begins by telling David all the things that he'd done for him. Look what he says. I anointed you king over Israel. In other words, hey, David... You're the king of the United Kingdom of Israel and Judah. And I made you that. Everything that you are, David, I made you. And may I remind you, brothers and sisters, everything that we are, God made us. God made us. So he keeps going and says this, And I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. All those days and months and years when you were the anointed king of Israel, but you could not assume the throne because Israel already had a king and his name was Saul. And all those days that, that uh, Saul was chasing you, I was with you. And by the way, pause. You remember what we said about this morning, about that disciplined part of learning to be tough, learning the lessons of life? Let me tell you, that's the other discipline. I promise you, David learned lessons when he was running from Saul and trusting God. He learned lessons that would prepare him for being king forever and ever and ever during his timeless life. Just like I promise you, the things that God allows in our life prepares us for life. They shouldn't be resisted. There are things that make us stronger. They make us stronger when those difficulties come. So I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, Saul's house, and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the united house of Israel and Judah. So that was a sign in those days. It was a sign of, of great power and authority. The conqueror would take the other king's wives. And God said, you didn't have to take them. I gave them to you. And I gave you his house. And I didn't give you half of Israel. I didn't give you Israel and leave Judah out. 
I didn't give you Judah and leave Israel out. I gave you the United Kingdom to be king over. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. God says to David, if that wasn't enough for you, Ross, if that wasn't enough for you, I would have doubled it. I would have done all that plus all that again. And sometimes, again, I think we need to pause. It may help us keep from sinning. You know, we need to pause and say, God, look at all that you've done for me. And God would say this. He'd say to us, he says, yes, and that's not enough. I could give you that much more. The, the spirit of generosity that can come from God for what God has done will help us not to sin. The more grateful we are for God's grace and what He's done for us, the least likely we're going to be to sin. See, David David was where he shouldn't have been. Now, I mean, Bathsheba didn't happen arbitrarily. Okay? It happened because David was not where he should have been. I'm telling you, if we'll learn to have a, a grateful heart for what God has done, it will change us. It will change us. And then verse 9. Just listen to what God says. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in His sight? I wrote down this, a question we should ask before, dot, dot, dot. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Oh, oh, if we could, if we could, Beth, uh, Beth, <laughs> I should not touch and have said your name. See, see, you know, if we would hit the pause button, if we could just be wise enough, right when we're fixing to stick our foot in our mouth or call a person a wrong name or, or you know, whatever, if we just hit the pause button... And ask this question. Why, Dwayne, why are you about to despise the word of the Lord to do this what's evil in his sight? Carrie, why are you fixing to, to despise the word of the Lord and do what's evil in his sight? If we would just pause and understand the ramifications that we're about to, I love this word, about to despise the word of the Lord and do what's evil in his sight. Oh, I bet David would say, if only I would have asked that question before Bathsheba, I probably wouldn't have done Bathsheba. Well, guess what? A pound of prevention is, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So tonight we had the opportunity to say, okay, God, teach me this. Bury this in my heart. Stick this in my heart, God. Teach me, teach me to ask important questions before I choose to sin. And learn to mash the pause button. What a DVR, great invention. Dwayne, come to supper, pause, and come back and pick it up. Wouldn't it be great if there's a spiritual pause button where we could pause and say, now, do I really want to do this? Is this really what I want to say? Is this really going to be helpful? Is this going to be harmful? How many regrets are attached to what I'm fixing to do? And you know what? It would totally just virtually eliminate those willful sins in our lives. Would you say amen to that? Learn to have such a communication with the Holy Spirit that he, when He speaks to your heart, don't. We listen and hit the pause button. You have, and here's, he starts laying it down, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. Now, now here's the interesting part. And have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, let me tell you what's interesting about that. If you remember the story of Bathsheba, okay, when David was in Jerusalem and the team Joab was out in the field defeating the enemy, 
He sends back and says, hey, you need to come out here and claim glory for this because if you don't hurry up and claim glory for it, I'm going to get glory for it. And you're the king, you deserve glory for this. So obviously, the battle where David sent Uriah the Hittite into the fray and he was killed, God gave them the victory. You follow me? So David used the Amorites who God placed in his hand for victory and used it for the death of a man. How often do we take what God gives us as victory and use it for wrong purpose? Whether it be pride, arrogance, our own good. Does that make sense? Some more think about it, isn't it? So, so God says, I gave you the Ammonites. I gave them to you, and you used them for evil. You used my victory for evil. Now, therefore, he says, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you have despised me. Can I read it again? Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. I don't know if you can build a whole doctrine on this or not, but it sure sounds like God is saying, David, when you willfully sinned in this way, you are showing not your love for me, but your despisement of me. Is there anybody here who wants to despise the one who died for us? Is there someone who will raise their hand and say, I want to despise the God who said, I love you? If we just hit the pause button and understand the ramifications and how grievous these things are to God. And you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Now, verse 11. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Did that happen? Yeah, yeah, Absalom. Actually, there was another small rebellion, but Absalom was the big one. His own son rose up against him and led him in rebellion. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of his son. And did that happen? Yeah, Absalom, his own son, took his, his concubines and on the roof and had relationships with them. The greatest shame. And, and the great part of the sin, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. God said, your sin was secret, but I want to tell you something. What's about to happen, all of Israel's going to talk. All of Israel's going to talk. Think about the ramifications and consequences before you mash the play button. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, I don't know how many words that is in Hebrew, but in English... In this translation, it's six words. Six words. Those six words spoken from his heart. It was so much more than, I'm sorry, God. In, in, this, in these six words, and again, if you read Psalm 51 particularly, it paints it out so... In fact, maybe you saw this week, go back to Psalm 51 and read it. But in these six words, you see confession and you see repentance. You see confession and you see repentance. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin because there was confession and repentance. You shall not die. Why? Confession, repentance, and grace. God loves to minister grace and mercy when we're willing to confess our sin 
and turn from our sin. Confess our sin and turn from our sin. We are, again, we're so good at telling God, sorry. But we're really not good at telling God, I'm sorry. And God, my heart is broken over this. And my intention is to never do that again. To never do that again. He goes on and says this. Nevertheless, that means something's coming. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned... Another strong word. Utterly scorned the Lord. You despise me, God said. Now it says you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. And you know what? He did. He died. He died. Was God just? He absolutely was. Well, you got to be careful. We never know the ramifications of our sin. And how big it is. Well, Nathan went home. So now let's take your Bibles and look at Psalm 38. I'm not sure we're going to make it all the way through this, and I regret that, but Psalm 38. This is that, this, again, most theologians agree that this is written during that, that long time between Bathsheba getting pregnant and before Nathan says, You are the man. I, I wrote down, It was a long pregnancy. Because Bathsheba's pregnant, and I'm not talking about for her either, but David is under severe correction from the Lord. And there's some things here I think that we can pick up on and just notice and say, okay, God, is there a sin in my life that might be causing this? Now, again, most theologians agree this is what the cause is. I mean, there, are, there is the possibility of leprosy here. Some theologians say that they're pretty sure David may have had leprosy. Certainly, there's a possibility of some kind of a sexually, and I'm trying to be coarse, sexually transmitted disease. The wording of this is not metaphorical. It's not, it's not a picture being painted. It is real. And you'll see what I'm talking about. If you don't remember it, you'll see what I'm talking about. He starts out. Now, remember, this is being spoken sometime during that period. Oh, Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. That sounds like a really good beginning. Don't, don't you all agree with it? We don't know when this was spoken, but sometime in that period, and yet we don't see deliverance right away. What's the deal? I think David was sorry, but he's not sorry enough to quit. I think David doesn't like the conviction of the God, but I don't think he's ready yet. Because remember, this is before Nathan saying, you are the man. It's that nine-month period between I'm pregnant and the baby being born and Nathan coming and saying, you are the man. So I think, he's, I think he's, he's sorry, but he's just not sorry enough. He says, and this is the part I remember saying not too long ago, for your arrows, and I said these words, whose arrow? Whose? God's. If you'll notice, the word your, in my translation, is capitalized. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. David's saying, what I'm going through right now feels like arrows piercing my heart and a pressure pushing me down. I don't know if you can identify with with arrows piercing your heart, but you might be able to identify with it. There was a time in my life I just felt like God was, pressure was on me. It may have been correction. And then this, listen to these words. Verse 3, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger. Because of what? Your anger. Hmm. How about that? Nor any health 
in my bones because of what? My sin. David says, I'm going, I, I understand I'm going through this, you know, and that you're, 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 there's an anger there because of, you know, and there's, there's no sounds in my flesh because your anger is caused by my sin. It's caused by my sin. Look at, listen to this. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. He's drowning in guilt and shame. Remember, this is before Nathan says, you are the man, and God, I've sinned against you. He describes his life as drowning in guilt. Have you ever felt like you've been drowning? Has there ever been enough sin in your life where you just felt like you're drowning in guilt? You can identify with this. And I put it on my nose, let's go back to this morning. You know, how do you know there's, when there's correction possibly going on in your life? I would say when you feel like the guilt is like a sea and it's drowning you, there's a reason that guilt might be there. Now, if you're like me, I feel guilty for the people starving in China, you know. But there's probably a reason for that guilt. You need to say, God, is there something going on? God, is there something going on that you and I need to talk about? Because sometimes Satan will play with your brain and give you false guilt too. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. But listen to this. Listen to this. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. What a great word. David is wise enough to call sin foolishness. We need to be wise enough to call sin foolishness. Because it is. Because it is. I, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Now, this is the dude who's famous for being a great singer, for writing the beautiful songs of Psalms. And you want to hear the crazy part? There was something David thought he couldn't live without. It was a woman named Bathsheba. He could have had and had concubines and wives. As king, he could have had anything he wanted but he had to have another man's wife. And when he got her, listen to his life. I'll read it again. I am troubled. I am bowed down like someone carrying a great weight. I go mourning all the day long. When he got what he couldn't live without, his life was horrible. Does that ring a bell with anybody? How often we wanted something, we just had to have it, and the results were horrible. And it just goes on. My loins are full of inflammation. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble. I'm severely broken. And I groan because of the turmoil of my, of, of my heart. And this is that life of unconfessed sin. Now listen to me. I'm not saying you'll go through all of this, but if your life is kind of like one of moaning and groaning and mourning all day long, I'm bowed down. For goodness sake, don't attribute it to your personality. It might be something going on. There might be something going on. I know Judy asked me one time, and it wasn't... Matter of fact, every once in a while, I just get one of these spirits about me, you know, and I get kind of like grumpy. And, and, she find, and she'll say, why are you so angry? And I figured out, you know what? It probably means there's something going on with me and God that we got to talk about. So don't, don't blow this off as a David experience. 
When these things come into our lives, be wise enough to say, God, is there something we need to talk about? Verse 9. All my desires before you. You know what I want, Lord. And my sign is not hidden from you. My heart pants and my strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it's gone. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no happiness. I'm one unhappy man. And then this, again, it, it sounds like leprosy. My loved ones and my friends stand afar from my plague. And my relatives stand afar off. These are not easy words. And again, they are not, they are not poetic in nature. They are real. So whatever's happened in David's life is real. And there's illness and there's a broken spirit going on in his life. And then real quick, if you'll give me about three or four minutes here, we'll hit Psalm 32. Now, now in Psalm 32, it's after David said, you know, Nathan said, you are the man. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord. After that, he writes Psalm 32. Listen to the difference. Listen to the difference. Same man. Same man. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. He knew about that. Whose sin is covered. He knew about that. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, does not charge iniquity to him, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, am I the only one that looks like there's a night and day difference? Do you know what you think? Is there a night and day difference here? You know what made the difference? Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. That is such a lost thing in our gospel today. We've lost that, and I think a lot of us are kind of miserable because we forgot how to come back into fellowship with God. He goes on and says, When I kept silent. Remember that time? That was some... That was Psalm 38. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. He remembers it very well. Uh, Through my groanings all day long, he remembers that too. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. He said, I remember that too. And my vitality, the light of my eyes, well, it was turned to the drought of summer. What do you think of that, Salah? What do you think of that? And so here's what he says. Let me tell you what I did. He goes, I acknowledged my sin. Six words. Lord, I have sinned against you. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity is not hidden. I said, I will confess, I will repent of my transgressions to the Lord. And guess what God did? Yeah, He sure did. He sure did. And let me tell you what Satan will tell you. Satan will tell you God won't. Satan's going to tell you two. Let me tell you what Satan's going to tell you. Satan's going to tell you two things. One, he's going to tell you that God won't forgive you, that he's a harsh, mean master who despises you, and he will not forgive you. And he also makes sure you understand that if somehow words should get out that you've done something that God corrected you on, that they'll kick you out of the church. Because they think church is a country club and not a hospital for sinners. And people believe that. How many times have I heard? People go, I can't go to church. I've done this. I've done that. Dude, you're in the right place. This is a house of rescue. This is a house of redemption. This is a house of salvation. Welcome home. We'll check you in and let Jesus heal your heart. Verse 8. This is God speaking. I think it's kind of cool. Like all of a sudden God starts talking. I will instruct you, God says, speaking to David. And teach you 
in the way you should go. He said, if you'll let me, I'll help you hit the pause button and I'll teach you. I want you to have victory over this, so I'll pause the button for you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And I think God would say, I'll guide you with my eye because guiding me with my eye is a lot better than guiding me with, with uh, discipline and correction. God's desire. How many of you ever had the look? Did your mom and dad have a look? I know your wife has a look. You know, got the look. Well, God said, I'll guide. My desire is to guide you with my eye and, if you will, not my hand. I'd rather guide you with my eye and not my hand. And, and Dwight should love this verse. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. His preferred choice is to guide us with his eye, with his love. And if we'll respond to that, that's as far as he ever needs to go. David, wise David, a man for God's own heart, did not respond. And God had to take a whole different route. Well, in summary now, now David's talking again. In summary, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. And he goes, I know because I was one. I had acted wickedly. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. David said, I can tell you about that because he showed mercy to me. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. There is joy in confession and repentance and restoration. Amen? Isn't that a great story? Really, one day maybe we'll do a, ser- a whole series on it because I just think the Psalms just had a whole different perspective um, to it. And frankly, again, a lot of us go through difficult circumstances and we don't know what to do with those uh, sometimes they come. Let's bow our heads and pray and David will lead us in a song. Well, Father, I sure thank you for the privilege of sharing this tonight. And help us to learn, Father. You know, we talked this morning, God, about uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And we're, there's such a great cloud of witnesses. And David was in that cloud. And he had things he could teach us. And he does that in, in Psalm 32 and 38 and 51. He wants to teach us so we don't have to walk down the same path. Now, Father, only you know our lives and our hearts. You may know what is hiding, what we're hiding. And, Father, there's anything that we need to talk about. Help us to do that. Help us to understand that you're a good, good father, a loving father who wants nothing more to return to full fellowship to help us to grow, to help us to be stronger, to live in the victory, Jesus, in this new new covenant, the victory that you won for us. So God, thank you for all of that and so much more. And help us to always be grateful. Help us to always be grateful for all that you've done for us. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.